open the word to Habakkuk chapter 2, and that's where we're going to be. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. I pray you would open our hearts, open our ears, even if it's just one thing, God, one thing that we can say, that was, that was, that was what the Lord needed to speak to me this morning. And God, we trust you in the trials, in Jesus' name, amen. When I was in uh, seminary a few years ago, I remember I had a past, uh, past professor, and he came out, and he said, remember he came out with a question, and the question was, describe faith. And at the time, <laughs> it was kind of, it's not the easiest thing to describe, right? Uh, it's, well, I mean, it's something you can't do for yourself, you trust in God, you know, it's, it's, but it's not tangible, but it is tangible. You know, I remember all the answers, and he said, let me help you a little bit. And he, he brought out a jar of jelly beans, and then he had in his hand a bunch of worship songs, you know, like kind of fanned out like cards. And he said, how many of you think faith is like a can of jelly beans? And of course, we're all going, no, it's not candy, you know. And then he goes, how many of you think that faith is like uh, this stack of worship songs we ha I have in my hand? And he's like, yeah, obviously faith and worship kind of go together. And he goes, you're wrong. He goes, you see, all of these worship songs, they can be like the flavor of the month. Oh, I feel like this worship song today. Oh, I feel like that worship song today. Oh, I think this worship song is true. Oh, I don't think this wa worship song is true. I think parts of this worship song are true, but parts of this worship song doesn't make sense. He said, the problem with today is we have made faith multiple choice. It's whatever you want it to be, whatever you construct it to be, that's what faith is for you. He said, while I can understand why somebody may want to do that, he said, let me tell you what multiple choice faith leaves you with. No peace. No peace. Because it's constantly changing, constantly shifting, constantly going from one choice to the other. He says, that faith leaves with no peace. He said, believe it or not, if I were to say, how many jelly beans are in this jar? There is a number of jelly beans in this jar. I think there was like 184. Can't remember the exact number. So like, there are 184 jelly beans in this jar. He said, in all the years I have been teaching, which I think were like 30 or 40 by that time. He's a really old guy. In all, all the years I've been teaching, he said, I have never once given a jelly bean out of this jar. And I have never once eaten one for myself. The same number of jelly beans that was here 30 years ago is the same number of jelly beans in this jar today. He goes, you know what that is? That's peace. It doesn't change. It's unchanging. And there's only one answer. He said, Christianity is a jelly, jar of jelly beans kind of faith. Not multiple choice. Not flavor of the month. Not feel like in the moment. And he said, so next time someone asks you about faith, talk about the solidness, the solid rock faith that Jesus is the answer. And you don't have to worry about multiple choice. Amen? Today, this morning, I have a jar of beans verse for you. A rock solid, you can believe it, you can trust it, you can put it in your heart and leave it there for the rest of your life. You may change. 
every seven to ten years, everybody in here is going to change. Physically, all the cells in your body, seven years from now, will be all, be all new ones. Okay? So we're, we're constantly changing people. Psychologically, we change. Our personality changes. You know, we go through personality changes every seven days. We are variable. God is unchangeable. Never changes. Never gets better. Never gets worse. Doesn't need to get better. He's completely awesome as he is. Doesn't get more loving. Doesn't get less loving. It may seem like that. I've heard people say, yeah, I feel like God loved me more 10 years ago than he does now. I, I know it seems like that. Then it's my job to tell him, actually, God has never changed in his heart toward you. He's never changed in who he is because he's finite, perfect. He's that jar of beans, jelly beans. It is what it is. And he is unchanging and not multiple choice and not varying. So today, I have a solid rock verse for you. It is one of the, probably the top 10 verses from the Bible that you should know. It's not very long. It's very easy to memorize, but very hard to ascertain, to understand, if you're not thinking about it. And that is the verse from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 most of you know we've been in our series trust in the trials and we've been going through a little bit of Habakkuk showing how he trusted God in his trial and this is trust in the trial 7 talking about saving faith but before we go to to you know before we finish this out we've got to stop at this verse and look at it my conscience wouldn't be clear if we didn't because it's such an important and powerful verse in fact, it's so important. It's described as one of the central verses of the Bible. It takes no less than three New Testament books just to explain this verse. The book of Romans, book of Galatians, and the book of Hebrews. Romans 1.17 has this verse. Galatians 3.11 restates this verse. Hebrews 10.38 also restates this verse. Yeah, somebody's sorry. Somebody's texting me. Gotta turn this on silent real quick. In fact, this verse is so important that it has literally changed the course of church history. And the verse is simply this The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. We're going to break that down. It's okay if you don't know exactly what that means yet. About five, six hundred years ago, the great reformer Martin Luther who really f founded and was the genesis of the Protestant church movement we know today. He started off pursuing a career as a Catholic monk. And uh, he was very, very hard on himself, you might say. Um, he felt essentially that his, he was very oppressed with his relationship with God, that God was sort of oppressing him. Every time that he committed a sin, that night he would take a whip and he would whip his back and whip it until so, so he could feel the sting of his sin. If he had overindulged himself in wine or food or perhaps he had lusted after a woman, he would starve himself the next day so that his body would feel the pain of going hungry. And this is the sort of the mindset in the world that Martin Luther was in at the time most christians believed that you earned your way to heaven 
and even worse, that you could buy your way into heaven. The church was selling certificates, saying if you buy this, it'll give you entry, like tickets into heaven. This was the world with which Martin Luther lived in. And so he was very oppressed in his relationship with God. And one day when he was on a pilgrimage, he decided to do a Bible study on the book of Romans. And when he looked at Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he said, I got rocked to the core. He started shaking. He said, I had my born again experience. I was filled with the Spirit. I was liberated from all of the oppression in my relationship with God who everybody said loves me and I felt like he did anything but. And then he read Romans 1.17 and it was this. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That verse first came years earlier. The prophet Habakkuk was the first to write it. And if you, it'll be, it'll be on the screen here, but if you want to follow along with your Bible, it's Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. And Habakkuk says, And the Lord answered me. What was Habakkuk's struggle? Habakkuk's struggle was this. He felt like he was living a good life, that a lot of Judeans were trying to live a good life, and yet God was sending the Babylonians to conquer and judge them. He's saying, God, they're far worse than us. How can you be using them to judge us? And how long is this going to last? I've been serving you. I've been following you, Lord. How long? I don't understand. I don't get it. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me. See, when we pray, some of us may feel the answer will never come. No, actually, at some point, the answer does come. And here's the answer for Habakkuk. He says, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. So he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. But it will surely come. It will not delay. He's talking about, God's talking about his own answer. Verse 4, behold his soul, the king of Babylon, is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk had been crying out for an answer ever since he heard that God was going to use his enemy, the Babylonians, to punish Judah. And he's been serving God faithfully. God essentially says to Habakkuk, don't worry, Babylon is going down and Judah is going to be restored. At the perfect time and not one moment later. See, here's the thing. God will do it in the perfect time and he will not delay one minute more than he needs to in order to accomplish his will and purposes in our lives and in the lives of the world. He says, it will come at the perfect time, not one moment later, your enemies and the purveyors of all of this turmoil will be nothing but a fact of history. And that's exactly what happened. Within a century, Babylon would be wiped off the map and they would be nothing but a fact of history. 
as the Persian Empire not only conquers them, but erases them as a civilization. And many people confuse that. The Babylonians weren't the pre-Persians. The Persians came, conquered Babylon, and then just snuffed them out of history. So, so, so God says, don't worry, Habakkuk, Babylon is going down. But that day for Habakkuk is a long way off. In fact, it's actually beyond his lifetime. Habakkuk wouldn't see that with his own living eyes. Babylon's not going to be destroyed for another 70 years. And so for now, they are still conquering and plundering, conquering and plundering. And Habakkuk is questioning himself, what do you do while you watch evil in the world? What do you do when you see all this evil? And boy, what a question for us today. What do you do when you see a world that's so much, uh, so much division, so much fighting, so much conflict, so much anger? What do you do when you see a world that seems to be unraveling in so many different ways? And Habakkuk, what do you do with this? Well, Habakkuk just said it. God just said it to Habakkuk. You live by faith. What do you do when the bullies win? The righteous shall live by faith. What do you do when your prayers go unanswered? The righteous shall live by faith. What do you do when your dreams have just been crushed? The righteous shall live by faith. Now fast forward 700 years into the future. Habakkuk is dead. Babylon is dead. Persia is dying. And here's Paul in the Roman Empire trying to explain to these Greeks who have become Christians and these Jews who have become Christians what faith in Jesus means. And he writes an amazing, incredible verse in Romans 1.17. The full verse is this. Listen to this. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed and that preposition from is the key to the whole verse he says in the gospel a righteousness that comes from god that's from heaven that's from his nature that's from us it's not from us it has nothing to do with us it is completely from god in fact if we try to merge any of us in it we just taint it right it's a righteousness from god it's an alien righteousness, if you want to think of it that way. A righteousness not indicative to humanity. He says, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. What does that mean? In the beginning, you receive this righteousness by God from faith, and the rest of your life, you only maintain it by faith. You say, well, I don't know what that quite means. I met a lot of people where they had an amazing experience with God and they, and they surrendered their heart to Jesus. They prayed the prayer. There was tears. There was all this. And they're like, oh, thank God. He, he forgives all my sins by grace. But then 10 to 20 years down the road, they think, you know what? I, I, I've been a bad boy. I've been a bad girl. Oh, my goodness. You know, something's going on. So, something's wrong. I'm disconnected from God. No, no. From first to last... Wherever our relationship God come, from God comes from, it comes from God and the righteousness he confers on you. 
In other words, if it was grace that got you saved, it's grace that keeps you saved. Amen? And so, I just have three points this morning, but these three points are meant to try to understand exactly what it means to have this first-to-last faith that is based off a righteousness that only comes from God. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to steal it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Point number one, the righteous shall live by faith means no guilt. No guilt. The word righteous actually comes from an ancient word that was used in courtrooms and used in legal proceedings. And the word literally translates into English, not guilty. Not guilty. Right? So they would declare somebody righteous in the courtroom, and what they were essentially saying is innocent of all charges. Not guilty. That's where that word comes from. That's the definition of righteousness. Not guilty. We have a faith that Jesus will make us righteous, not guilty in God's eyes. That you can stand before him and be declared not guilty. That you can literally go in front of the face of God and say, God, I am not guilty. He may say, why do you think that? What makes you think you're not guilty? What makes you, you know, tell, tell, tell me, give me five reasons as to why you're not guilty as you stand in front of me right now. And you'll say, you know what, God, I don't need to give you five reasons. I can only give you one reason. Because that guy right there makes me not guilty. And God will smile and say, now that's the only reason you need. Because that's the one who makes us all righteous, not guilty. By accepting Jesus' death and resurrection, we are forever declared not guilty no matter what we've done. An old Southern saying, we, we can often fight against this, an old Southern saying says, a clear conscience is often the result of a poor memory. The righteousness that God is talking about is not a righteousness from us. It's from him. It is truly an alien righteousness. When I lived in Thailand, uh, some of the friends I had met there, some of the people there, they wanted to show me this big monastery that was like way up in the mountains, tallest monastery in the world. You had to hike 10,000 steps to get up there. It took the better part of three hours just to hike those steps and get there. And, uh, and when I finally got there, of course, I'm, you know, the air's so thin and I'm breathing so heavy because I don't walk 10,000 steps every day. And I finally get there. And the people I was with, the, the, the Thai people I was with, they're saying, hey, you know what? It's okay. You can come into the temple and you can kneel and pray and, and, and receive what we would translate as peace. Now, when you're in a foreign country, all your training says you need to be respectful to the culture not to insult indigenous peoples, especially when they know you're an ambassador for Christ. But in that moment, I realized they saw faith as a bunch of different music songs, multiple choice. Don't worry, Tom. It's okay. You can just choose Buddha today. Don't worry about it. 
And I realized, had I done what they asked me to do, I would be giving that definition of faith. I told them, I'm sorry. I will not kneel. I will not kneel. Because Christianity is a jar of beans faith. And there is only one who can give me peace. And it's not that guy right there. It's the guy who's in here. The righteous shall live by faith. So I remember standing there and they're all kneeling and they're all doing this and they're all doing all that. <laughs> I just stood there and I lifted my hands like this, big smile on my face. I'm praying in the spirit and then I'm like, okay, come on, God. Just a bolt of lightning right now. Just, just destroy the thing, you know. I, I must have asked that for like 20 minutes. When it didn't happen, I'm like, okay, okay. You know, I, I look back and I'm like, 10,000 up, 10,000 down, you know. It's, <laughs> you see, they wanted me to meditate and they offered for me to kneel with them, but I would not kneel before an idol. Not even out of respect because I had to demonstrate that Christianity is a jar of beans faith, not just another song on the list. It's not, we don't live by faith in anything. We live by faith in Christ. Amen? Number two, the righteous shall live by faith means no deals. Everyone who becomes a Christian becomes it in the same way. It's through faith alone and faith always. Imagine that you're standing in line to get into a place, big building, and at the door there's a doorman, and he is interviewing everybody as to why they should be let in, and they're all giving answers. So some people may say, hey, I got a lot of money. You should let me in. I got a lot of money. Other people may say, hey, man, I'm going to beat you up. You better let me in there. I'm going to beat you up, sucker. Other people may say, you know what? Can you have pity on me? I've been standing in line for hours. And you notice none of them get in. You see everybody else walking away, not being able to get into the building. People that you thought were far better than you, people that you thought were far richer than you, people that you thought were far nicer than you, people that you thought were far smarter than you, and they're not getting in. And you're realizing, my goodness, if they don't measure up, I'm sure not going to measure up. Then you walk up, and you realize, if I'm going to get in, the only hope I have is this little invitation I have in the back of my pocket. It's an invitation by Jesus to trust him and follow him. And you walk up to the doorman. He says, why should I let you in? You say, because I got an invitation from the owner of the building and I accepted the invitation. And he smiles and he says, oh, that's the best answer I've heard all day. Opens the door and lets you in. That's faith. I think deep down inside, we want to believe secretly that God makes deals, right? That God's a little deal maker. He, he, he's a bargainer, you know? That if we only try hard enough, if we only do our best, if we clean up our act, if we play by the rules, if we treat people right, then God will let us in. The righteous shall live by faith means God don't deal. God doesn't deal. If we come to God on the basis of what we're bringing to the table, 
we're always going to be found lacking. If we come to God receiving what God is bringing to the table, then we will never live in want. That's so the righteous shall live by faith means no guilt. The righteous shall live by faith means no deals. Number three, the righteous shall live by faith means no choice. There's no other choice. When you go into the hospital and the doctor says, your heart is failing and we need to do heart surgery now. We're going to put you under and I'm going to do some surgery and I'm going to fix your heart. At that moment, you know what faith means, right? Or you're stepping onto a a jet and you're going to fly, especially if you fly across the ocean. And you put all of, you don't know how to fly a jet plane, so you are putting all of your trust in a pilot that you've never even met. That's faith. When you have to go to court, because you're trying to plead your court case, and you hire a lawyer, because he can argue the law better than you, you know what faith is. When you go from this life to the next. In the last 12 months, I've watched no less than three people go from this life to the next. You realize what faith is. Faith is complete reliance upon another person to do that which you could not do yourself. Let me say it again. Faith is complete reliance on another person to do that which you could not do yourself. Just like I have faith in the pilot, just like I have faith in the surgeon, and just like I have faith in the lawyer, I have faith in the Savior that he can do something for me that I'll never be able to do for myself. That's faith. That's what Paul is saying, and that's what God is saying to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, There are some things you can't do by yourself. There are some things you're not going to be able to know by yourself. So I want you to have faith in me and live by that faith just as much as you would a pilot or a lawyer or a surgeon. How much faith does it take? Well, it depends. In the one sense, the answer is not much. But in the other sense, it really requires all the faith you got. But if you're willing to trust Jesus with as much faith as you happen to have, you'll be fine. Heaven is filled with only the righteous. Righteousness is something we need but do not have. Righteousness is something Jesus offers, but we have to take it. And if we humble ourselves and receive it, we will receive a rock-solid peace that even though we change through the shifting years, He will never. His word was good then. His word is good now. His word will be good throughout all eternity. Amen?